0: you by the Parthenon Podcast Group. Welcome to episode 303 of the Signals from Mars podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And for this episode, we have an extra special interview with Mr. Michael Wilton of Queendrake. a guitarist, composer, a man that's responsible for the soundtrack of a lot of our lives. Up next.
1: I'm
0: ready, let's do it. Queen Drake is a band that I really. Hopped on thanks to MTV. And I'd known the name, but really didn't know the music because, you know, it wasn't on the radio, basically. And then Dial MTV had Eyes of a Stranger on all the time. And I was, you know, initially I resisted it because, you know, being the dope that I am, a lot of times when something is popular, Or when something is overhyped, not to say that they were overhyped, but when something is overly hyped, I usually go against the grain. And then I remember seeing the video for Revolution Calling, and I was like, all right, sold, never mind. Love Eyes of a Stranger now. (laughs) So uh, it was one of those things where Operation Mindcrime, my third ever CD, I will always remember that, I still own it, and one of the greatest albums ever released, in my opinion. It's just so good front to back. And once that album hooked me, getting goosebumps while talking about this, uh, I was a fan for life. Again, as I mentioned during the intro, Queen Drake and Michael Wilton have become part of the soundtrack of my life. And it's funny because I revisited Empire not that long ago. And this always happens when I listen to that album. I'm like, holy crap, this album is so good <laughs> beginning to end. You know, there are so many songs that they released over the years, uh, even post Chris that I really like. And as most of us will attest to that are fans of the band, bringing Todd LaTorre into. The band really sparked, really brought back what a lot of us were were missing with the band, and that's no disrespect to any former members or anything like that. If you're looking for that type of an interview, uh, it's there. It's not there. Um, I often see these interviews where they talk to Jeff Tate or or even uh, Todd Latore or even Michael. And guys are looking for the hoo-hoo-hoo, I gotcha moment. It's like, that's not me. I just want to talk about the music. So um, it's interesting. I was supposed to speak to him, or I got to speak to him, back in 2014, right as the first album with Todd came out. And at that time, I was part of Talking Metal, was doing the Friday Night Live show with Mark Striegel, and Mark was the one that called all the shots. So, you know, I got one question, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, when I looked back, there's a small clip of him talking about Heaven and Hell, the album by Black Sabbath, and talking about Neon Nights, which is a track that Queensryche did cover on their covers album. And yeah, so there's, so I've got that going for me. (laughs) There you go. But anyway, you guys have heard me blab enough here. Quick shout out to my patrons. Thanks for all your support, guys. And that's it. Let's get on with this interview with Michael Wilton. you were mentioning that the writing process from digital noise Alliance was different to that of the verdict. Can you explain that a little? As
2: a band, you know, we decided that, uh, we wanted to make this more of a, an organic, uh, you know, just improvised uh, approach, you know, not, not a bunch of regurgitated old songs. So this was all new stuff, you know, new material, you know, and to do this, with uh you know everybody's participation in a room, which is kind of like the old way we did it back in the eighties you know we before there were cell phones and you know internet and all that you know we uh just got in a room, showed each other ideas and and we learned them you know, and that's how it was. but this has then the digital noise alliance we' we kind of did the same thing but now you have you know computers that can Archive ideas so you don't forget them, which is helpful, at least for me, you know. (laughs) Um, And this, uh, I I think, you know, and and you know, we brought in kind of the my old Marshall amplifiers, um, some past albums, and so you know, it just it just kind of had the more improvised with the the Marshalls. I think you know, it adds a a color and it, it just made it. Feel more vintagey, I guess. And by the way, you know, if you're an amp guy, the Marshalls are awesome. They just they <laughs> got it right the first time. They work in the recordings, you know, perfectly, and it's like, right. It was a you know a beautiful thing. So, and I think you know it's just the idea of being in a room together and everybody bouncing ideas off of each other, and, and it's it's more efficient mm-hmm. and things you know, they, they get completed, you know, more <laughs> a timely matter. Right. So, you know, we were, uh, doing, you know, writing sessions and, and coming up with five, six ideas a day, you know? So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so it just, it just had a different feel, I think, you know, and a lot of, most of the songs were, were derived from my guitar riffs <laughs> and, you know, early morning after, uh, you know, a double espresso, um, <laughs> and tell the producers, I go, Hey dude, I think I got something in my head. I want, I want you to reply. go turn on the computer, you know, go turn on the <laughs> pro tools. Right. And, uh, so we, we do that, you know, because you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll listen to it and I'll hear things in my head, but you know, if I don't archive it, it's, it's gone, you know, mm-hmm. collective consciousness, whatever, you know, so, but that, you know, and we build on it and, you know, the guys would go, well, I like that part. I don't like that other part. Yeah, you know, whatever. And then, you know, we had electronic drum kit and Zeus would tell Casey, hey, go, go play a beat to this. And you know, and, and you just you just kind of build it, right? And mm-hmm. and that's how it was for pretty much every song. I don't know. It for me it was it was a lot of fun. You know, we ended up with like twenty-one, twenty-two ideas after you know, all these uh, writing sessions that we did. And we had to stream it down to ten or eleven you know, there, there's still a lot of really cool ideas that, that are, you know, on the hard drives, which, you know, I may revisit someday. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this was, it's it's just got an energy. And I think it just, it connects with people. We're already playing three of the songs live. They just, they sound good live, you know, it's, we're playing uh, behind the walls and we're getting, you know, really great responses. You know, we're we're opening for Zeus Priest. And, you know, we didn't exactly know how the priest audience would like that, you know, the, the new stuff rather than the classic, but we've, uh, these songs just, they connect, you know, that's what I can say. It's just, they instantly connect. I mean, all the other albums are great, you know, that uh, we've done with Todd for what they are and everything, but this one is just uh, really special.
0: I think listening to this album as a whole, I've, this has been kind of my selling point to a lot of people when I've been hyping the album out, is that if this album came out, you know, in no disrespect to any of the other albums, but if had this have come out right after something like Empire, the album would have been huge because it's got kind of that, you know, old school feel, is, as you're mentioning. It really feels really worked out and flushed out, and it really is at another level than the other albums. I mean, not to say that those are or bad at all, like I said, kind of off air. I really like the verdict, but this is on a a different level. Do you think that that you guys were able to work on these songs more because of the pandemic and not being able to do too many other things, so you were allotted more time than usual to work on the album?
2: Well, well, yes and no. I mean, obviously, we could have probably put this out in, Two thousand twenty. <laughs> right. You know, when the whole industry was shut down. You know, we didn't we we're being safe, you know, and it's like it wasn't until January of two thousand twenty one mm-hmm. that, you know, with vaccinations and everything, you could you could fly, you know, wearing a mask and everything. So, you know, maybe we had a, a little vented up frustration or whatever, you know, that everybody was feeling being you know cordoned off and locked up and right six feet away you know um (laughs) let's face it i mean it kind of decimated the music industry right right you know for heavy bands rock bands and metal bands it's like they make their living you know touring
1: Mm -hmm. and that
2: was shut down you know lots of establishments were closing down so it's like everything was was kind of shutting down or going down to Barebone operations and so this could be our last album in the, the industry definitely uh, injected some energy into me obviously because i was in a situation where i was stifled creatively <laughs> it's like okay guys let's do this so i spawned every vapor out of my body i could to write this album so and that, you know a lot of it was due to the, the pandemic I mean, let's face it. The technology, everything is changing. You know, the industry's changing. People aren't buying records; they're streaming. Bands don't get paid on streams. It's crap. You know, it's like you do hundreds of thousands of streams, and you can buy yourself a a coffee at Starbucks, right?
0: Does that put you off from uh, from writing additional music, though, or does that not really factor into it? You, as an artist, still need to put music out for your own. Self, you know, does does that come into play even even though you're not making the same money that you did back in the day?
2: Bands are figuring out how to adapt and survive and and, you know now it's like it's it's there's always challenges, right? And now there's inflation, which means you know, buses, tour buses need diesel. And it's
1: yeah, it's,
2: it's ridiculously expensive now, at least twice as much than it was, you know, back in 2019. So it's you know, you have all these challenges and, and everybody knows, you know, station prices go up and everything, but Hey, our wages aren't going up. It makes it a challenge for, uh, for bands that, that tour. But I think that fuels, you know, creativity. I think it it fuels just a desire. I guess I get energized from it and uh, <laughs> I uh, just keep doing what I'm doing. I've been doing this almost 40 years. So it's, I know what I like to write and I know and I got I my other guys in the band that'll tell me, dude, like, you already wrote that. Sorry, we got to <laughs> get a different idea. So they, they catch me if I'm pulling out, you know, riffs that I've already written on other albums or other songs. You know, hopefully, you know, I was hoping that possible, this would be some kind of major renaissance, right, that happens after this pandemic and that music would be the answer to everything.
0: But, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, you know,
0: <laughs> it is what it is. It seems as if the industry in the world in general is kind of playing catch up and trying to make up for, you know, lost time almost where you're seeing, you know, we saw this past summer Huge festival bills because they were cramming two years worth of festivals into a weekend or two. We're seeing bands like you mentioned the the diesel costs. Anthrax recently canceled a, a European tour because they mentioned that it was it cost too much. But at the same time, you know, they were over over in Europe in May and June. So it seems as if a lot of tours are kind of butting into one another and stuff that was strategically planned out in the past is is kind of just running into one another. And maybe the the demand for certain bands to play an area twice in four months just doesn't make sense.
2: Um, Yeah. I mean, well, you know, coming out of the pandemic and then you're 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 blasted into this kind of a situation. Right. You know, it's it's tough. And it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, you're springboarding into the Wild West again. <laughs> right. So, you know, and everybody's going to have to rethink their game, right? You're going to have to uh, really figure out your bottom line to survive in the industry. But I'm an optimist, and I, I think, you know, the industry's going to, as you say, catch up and uh, get back to the way it was. It's just going to take longer. Fortunately, you know, bands like Queensryche, we have such a following and we, mm-hmm. we can tour and, and, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of fans that are, that are starved for entertainment that want to come out and support live music. And, you know, and we're very fortunate that we can do that. I and mean, that's what we're doing right now.
0: So you mentioned the the Marshall amp before that you used on this album. I was going to ask you about, I mean, the, the guitar that you're most known for is the, uh, skull guitar. And it's funny. Uh, we were supposed to do the, the interview a few days ago and you guys dropped the video for hold on and using that cream colored guitar. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> my my question to you is, how long did it take for you to come across that specific, you know, your Skull guitar or the setup that you were finally comfortable with? I know that you've used a lot of gear over the years, but is is that an evolution as well? Or do you have more or less a go-to setup that you use and then evolve from that? Yeah, I've,
2: you know, accumulated a few of the guitars and, you know, ESP builds really badass guitars you know they're great for touring on the road and I, I i probably have like i don't know five or six that are go-to that i know that are going to record well they they play well and uh so I, so I have those and you know a lot of the skull guitars have floyd roses on them and stuff and and like this guy at floyd upgrades uh adam reaver hooks me up with supercharged uh, parts. <laughs> <And it's> like, <laughs> so I go back and I, I do this to the other guitars and then they start sounding badass now. And it's like, wow. You know, so, but yeah, I have, I just have a few that I know that are just going to be there and trustworthy and sound good. And it's the same, you know, like I said, we used six Marshall amps on this recording and each, each one of them sounded different. And it's, it's like each one had its own personality. And that's, what, that's what's so cool because they're all different models, That they're old, right? I had to uh, put new capacitors in them because they had dried out and I refortified them and they have new tubes. And some of them actually have the original tubes, still but um, they work. But it's, um, you know, it's great to, to play those again. And, you know, I, I, like you said, I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable with uh, that situation um, and that setup. The thing with uh, the ESPs is that they're alder bodies with maple necks. You know, when you're going from like Florida to Colorado, your your neck doesn't warp.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah,
2: it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I've stayed with ESPs and, you know, all the other guitars too, right? But, uh, right. I just I just feel like they've really been my guitar of choice for this
0: yeah. I I think you guys were among the first that I remember seeing with them. Obviously there are a few other artists that came out around the same time, but yeah, you've easily decades as, as you mentioned. Um, (laughs) is, is there a guitar that you've owned that you no longer own that you wish you still had in your possession? Well, I, before I began
2: playing ESP guitars back in 1988, I used to have. Some old Kramers, okay, Um, Kramer Pacers, and those, and you know, I kind of wish I still had some of those because now they're coming back in style. And and, but I was younger back then, and you know, I kind of used Kramers to get the ests. Right, (laughs) Um, but they're gone. You know, that I wish I still had them.
0: Is there a a piece of gear that you have that you've played with or written with that? you thought was really cool, but that you've never been able to incorporate it within a Queensryche song.
2: Oh, um, uh, you know, we don't put very many uh, wah parts in the albums. Um, and I have tons of old, you know, vintage Vox Wawa's. <laughs> so I think those and, you know, we pretty much try out all, all the different, Floor effect that I have, but yeah, I mean it's you know some of them have made it on the album and some haven't, you know. But um, yeah, it's kind of hard that something that didn't, you know. It's like all, all the stuff that I buy, I think I envision, you know, playing, <laughs> recording with a right. on a Drake album.
0: So. How difficult is it for you to put the set list together? You just mentioned you're playing three new songs off of Digital Noise Alliance. Is it hard for you guys to say, we want to play these songs, but we've got to play these other songs because that's what people want to hear?
2: Well, the thing is, you know, when you have 50-minute, you know, time slot, it's, you can only do so many songs. Right. But, you know, since we, have, since we have a new release, we can put uh, two new songs into the set and still have, you know, the classics in there as well that everybody knows, so... It's just a matter of uh, figuring out, you know, if we, if sometimes we have 55 minutes, sometimes we have 45 minutes, sometimes mm-hmm. we have 50 minutes. It just all depends on the time slot that that we're given. Right. So we, uh, but, you know, on this tour, we we said, you know, we got a new release. Let's put two, at least two songs into the set a night. And that's so far, you know, this is the first week we've been out with them and it's, We've been doing this, and it, it seems to be uh, working.
0: Is there any song that you guys haven't played in a while that you'd love to throw into the set list, but you just don't have time to incorporate it?
2: Yeah, uh, there are tons of them, like "Roads to Madness," um, even like uh, conditioned Human." Mm-hmm. You know, those are really long songs <laughs> that <laughs> would eat up uh, too much real estate in our time slot. But right, yeah, those, those, those those two, maybe we can revisit those when we do a headlining tour next year.
0: Yeah. I think the advantage that you guys have as well, you mentioned it before you do have a a diehard following so that even if you are throwing songs like that in there that aren't, you know, the radio hits that a lot of the casual fans know the diehards do know all of those songs and do appreciate when you play something that they haven't heard in a while.
2: Right. And that's, that's the key, you know, it's a balance. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, you have a percentage of, of casual fans and hardcore fans that come, you know, to see you every night. So it's, how do you, uh, you know, please everybody. Right. It's like for us, there's like, when we're headlining, there's like five or six songs that we kind of, you know, have to play. Right. And so everything around it is, you know, we're trying to incorporate more of the new stuff. We have with with every album that we put out since, you know, the the, the first album that Todd was on. We're, we're gaining new fans mm-hmm. that know us for the for the new music that we're putting out, and then they're rediscovering their past. So it's just a, a balancing act, and just really trying to hopefully please everybody that they get to hear the songs they wanted
0: to hear. <laughs> what inspires you in 2022? What other bands do you listen to? Do you kind of go back to the old bands that you listen to that influenced you to pick up the guitar? Do you listen to newer bands? Do you listen to anything in between?
2: You know, I'm, I'm on the road now. So I'm kind of every night I'm listening to a little bit of the, the Judas Priest show. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm a fan. I, I, I grew up, you know listening to them when I was a teenager, so it was uh carrying some of their their old songs like uh you know genocide and uh beyond the realms of death and it's like uh it's super cool for me so i'm I'm listening to that, and otherwise you know I'm just kind of grinding it out here, you know, just on the bus, traveling, going from parking lot to parking lot you know I really don't have a lot of time to listen to. The new music you know sometimes somebody's playing something and i'll listen to that and figure it out and go check them out but uh yeah i'm just kind of a old school guy that loves uh my old albums and, and you know right now it's 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 the judas priest tour so I'm, I'm getting plenty of of uh
0: listening enjoyment where do you prefer people to go pick the album up, do you want them to buy it from a specific place? Can they buy it off the website? What, what do you want them to do?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the game has changed so much. I mean, you know, where you used to go to stores that have, you know, sections for, for CDs and, and albums, they're, they're no longer selling them. It's all dishwashers and washing <laughs> machines. You know, so it's just like, I don't know, you know, where, where you? You, I know Century Media, our record label, has the uh, the collector uh, records, you know, different colored LPs, that kind of thing. And I'm sure, like uh, Amazon or whatever, sells the physical CDs. The thing is, most most people just buy it off of like Apple Music or whatever. And uh, I don't know, you know, that's it's it's kind of uh, it takes effort to buy a physical CD or an album. It's really easy to to download something. And even though it's killing many bands.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I had a discussion last week with uh, some of my followers. They're spread out all over the world. And one of them is in Sweden. And his question was that, how do you come, how do you come across picking up vinyl when you want to buy it? And he was explaining how he goes into Gothenburg and does this and does that. And it was funny because the next day I was walking through a, uh, a large town that I wasn't familiar with and I came across a, a vinyl shop. I said, holy shit, this is like a dinosaur. I, I haven't seen one of these in ages, but exactly what you said, you know, for the most part, it's ordering the stuff online and having it show at your doorstep, but it was cool to see that.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and when we're traveling, if, if we're in the city, you know, we'll, we'll see a, you know, an old store that still sells music. You know, we'll go in and buy vinyl. But yeah, you know, it's just people are so consumed with social media, just blasting at them. You know, it's like they forget about just the pleasure of driving to a record store and buying, looking at some CDs and albums and just buying something Yeah, physically. You know, that, like I said, it takes effort.
0: It's, it's a lot harder than just a few clicks. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Where do you want people to go to keep up with the uh with the band, with the tour? You mentioned there's going to be a headlining tour next year. Where do you want people to uh to keep up with all that?
2: Queensright.com, uh, Facebook at com, Instagram, Twitter, all the social media things. There's a an app that our website uses called Bands in Town, I think and you just put your favorite bands into there and they, they alert you when they come to town. So that's a good one. I think if you pay for Spotify, I think they'll do that too. I don't know. But, uh, otherwise anything, dot com.
0: Okay, cool. I want to, uh, thank you for your time. I had uh, a joy talking to you here and hopefully it isn't another eight years before I catch up with you again. <laughs>
2: yeah, don't be a stranger.
0: <laughs> yeah. There you go. Subscribe to the show on all your favorite podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and more. Go to signalsfrommars.com for more information. This concludes our show.